0: Now, I'm sure a few of you have felt that way a few times. (laughs) I'm glad they don't have no hidden cameras at TCS in the office side anyway. they got plenty of cameras around there, just not in our office. Covering anger, I must admit that it was a struggle for me. Not because I struggle necessarily with anger, it's just... Sometimes, and those of you who've preached and you've shared, you've taught, you'll understand what I'm saying. You study and you read, you study and you read, and somehow you're not getting a sense you get your hand around the subject. And as you read some commentary, I had downloaded a couple of books. I was reading through a couple of books on it and just going through. And There are so many different ways of tackling the question now. When pastors started making a few comments, I was afraid he's going to say something totally contrary to what I was going to say. Like, don't mess me up here. I'm going to have to tweak it quickly. But fortunately, that's not the case. If you go to Ephesians 4, we're going to go back to our text. Ephesians 4. I'm going to be very practical tonight. Take our Ephesians 4 passage uh, and look at what he says in verse 26 and bring us back into this context. Bring us back into our putting off and putting on. And then from there, walk through a few things with you because I've... I was challenged by a number of areas here, and I was encouraged by a number of things. I want to share those with you tonight. be honest, it's a fine line to walk with this idea of being angry and righteous anger. And there might be some things you don't agree with me tonight, and that's great, because that means you'll go back to the Word and you'll research it, and I'll just push you to the Word, so there's no no problem there whatsoever. Because I did struggle with knowing how to uh, explain certain things, and that's... Something that I'll walk through with you tonight. But in Ephesians 4, we're taking verse 17 through verse 32. I'm not going to read this whole passage, the one we've been building on. But verse 20, he says, "You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct." Then verse 24, he says, "And that you put on." So this is what we've been working towards, and and Pastor rightly fully said this about. One of the struggles with anger is that there wasn't really the same notion of putting on and putting off, but rather knowing how to process anger correctly. And that's more what I'll be discussing tonight. In verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. This is the core. And there are four things he says here and you know, Sometimes we try to make the word say more than it says because we want to make it more complicated than it is. But there's four observations here that are pretty straightforward. One, he says, be angry. Two, he says, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath and then don't give place to the devil. And then in verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. So, as I mentioned, I, I found the, struggle, the, the, the study to be somewhat... A struggle because there are so many books on the, on the subject. And if you go do a little bit of research, you'll find books. That, one of the newer books I saw is Reclaiming Your Anger. Uh, I was used to anger management books. Uh, Conquering Anger, of course. I was expecting that one. You go in and you find anger management classes. Well, uh, you see some. They give you a hammer and, uh, or a baseball bat, rather. And you go around breaking bottles or banging old cars. And that's anger management. That's anger release. For others, they sell you these little dolls, it looks like little voodoo dolls, and you go around banging it. When you get mad, you bang it against the wall, it lets that anger out, and you feel so much better, so they say. So, I'm going to get one for every one of my teachers at TCS and see if that helps. I don't know. But, that being said, what we do know is that God is capable of anger. So the argument many people will make, well, well, well God is capable of anger, but not man. So only God can be angry. Well, I have a little problem with that interpretation and that line of reasoning. And my question more came up, well, can man be angry? And if so, how and why and when? And how should he process that? I mean, anger is woven through Scripture. There's not going to be a specific text on teaching anger. You're just going to see it consistently woven through Scripture. You could think, I'm sure, of many examples of anger. Moses, when he got mad, what had happened? You know, he got mad at the rock and he hit the rock twice, and of course there were some serious consequences for that. The disobedience led him to not going into the promised land. Cain got angry. The result was murder and then wasting the life of wandering. I mean there were serious consequences for that kind of anger. So I think that our understanding of anger is going to be essential to one It gives us a proper understanding of God. I mean, understanding anger, and really that that first phrase, be angry, is really where I spent a big part of my time. Because to understand, what is God angry about? How is his wrath poured out? And how does that affect my life? And is there a place for me to model that same kind of dislike? And I'll explain the definition in just a moment. But as you examine God, you understand that a holy and sinless wrath of God does have a place. He is a moral governor of the universe. He's sinless in his character. He's perfect in all of his ways. And because of his holiness, because of his justice, God is able to exercise wrath and anger with absolute perfection. Now, some might see a contradiction here. They're saying, well, how can a loving God be an angry God? How can a forgiving God be an angry God? How can a God who shows mercy and grace be a God of anger and wrath? Paul describes, he says, those who are unrepentant are storing up wrath for themselves in the day of wrath and revelation. There is going to be a a day of wrath as well. So, if God gets angry, I do need to understand why He gets angry. And I guess my, the first part that really began to work in my mind and heart is, is this. What do we get angry about? I mean, the truth is, we get angry about a lot of things that we should never be angry about. But, reverse it as well, there are a lot of things that we're not getting angry about that we should be angry about. Because I've one of my frustrations, and I, I've shared this, and I didn't relate it to this anger issue... But I struggle at times encouraging our young people at at the school to desire a passion for holiness. In other words, they live in such a culture today where sin is so pervasive, immorality is so pervasive, that they don't seem to react and respond anymore to sin the way they should. If you take anger in its most basic expression Or definition. Now, I say this because I guess I got a clicker somewhere, don't I? I probably should use it. Somewhere down here. My notes say number two, which means I guess I should be flipping something here. I won't, uh, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? Now's not the time. Of course, how can you speak on anger and then your kids and your wife are listening to you, watching you? That's not good. The basic at the core, and it's so funny, you, you go to like vines to give you a definition. Anger, angry, means to be angry. I'm like, okay, <laughs> can we elaborate? The most basic definition is to oppose something. In other words, you can oppose to varying degrees. There might be something where you're just like, okay, I don't agree with that. They come to the point where you could strongly oppose and have strong emotions about it. But basically, anger at its core is to oppose. It's an internal disposition which steadfastly opposes someone or something. The two primary words that are used, and we find them both side by side in Ephesians 4.31, where it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, those two separate words, are somewhat... Used interchangeably in the translations, but here there are are two separate Greek words. The first one, the first one here, we find seems to reference more of an outburst. The the, the word thumos. Whereas here, I give just three references and underline these words to give you an idea of where this first word is being used. And again, it's to help me understand what are we talking about when we're talking about anger. I think the hard part for me is that anger is always negative. I mean, in my mind, everything, every time I think of anger, I think about revenge. I think about road rage. I think about all these other things. And I had to try to clear my mind of that. i say, well, what does it at the essence mean? And then how does it play out? Well, the two different words that we find being used here. One is more of an outburst. And we see this in Luke 4.28 where he refers being, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. So it's like it's this quick anger that uh, came up. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12.20. He says, uh, lest, lest there be an outburst of wrath. Galatians 5.20, again, it's an outburst of wrath. So the first word seems to indicate more of an outburst, something that has not been built up. But the second word, the word orge, which is more a word means to teem, which is to become filled or overflowing or to swell. So the two different words that are usually translated anger or wrath one gives the impression of something more of an outburst, and the other one that swells up, and now you can understand what we're talking about here. something like, okay, it's starting to work on you to where it comes out. One illustration was th- this fruit that you press, and the juice pours out uh, that kind of, of anger. So when you look at those few examples I saw I, I gave a few here, uh, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Mark three verse five. He says, and when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart. And then a little bit later on in Romans 5, he says, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So, a few times where he's using the term here, we have it. Basically, it's when you oppose something, of course, it's an emotional expression of something that you're opposing. We know that God has a fixed, controlled, passionate feeling against sin. It's a... A strong indignation. And this does put in perspective God's response to sin, where He says God is slow to anger. You just see this swelling up, this this built up, where He He responds to anger uh, in a and He thankfully, gratefully, He's slow to anger. So those four things. The first one is to be angry. And this is where many people are going to debate this one question. Can a believer, or should a believer, ever be angry? Remembering that we're talking about an emotional outburst or emotional opposition to something. How the anger expresses itself is is one thing. Our flesh tends to want to respond in a sinful way. In other words, our natural fleshly desires want to respond to something that we're opposing. Our natural desire is to respond in a sinful and a... Carnal way, which is why we have so many warnings in this regard in Scripture. If anger is this outward expression of a negative sentiment or an act of displeasure towards something that's important enough for me to care about. In other words, when I express anger for something, it's an emotional outburst against something that I oppose. And the reality is, there is a place for me to have a form of righteous anger. That says, I don't agree with that, and I am displeased with that, and I oppose that. Now, of course, now afterwards is how we carry that through is going to determine how, if it becomes something that's sinful or not. It's been said that anger is the moral emotion. It makes a statement as to what matters to you. So every time a person expresses anger, they're proclaiming, they're letting me you know what's important to them. Am I not called to hate those things that God hates? And this is where, in in, in contemplating this, I wrote this down for me. It says, the expression of my anger, or lack thereof, is a proclamation of what I value. In other words, sometimes I'm concerned not only about what people express anger over, but sometimes where they don't express anger over. And I think all of us who are raising the next generation of children in this society, we are concerned. We are concerned that the next generation, they're going to be so immersed in things that are perverse and vile that they won't have any more emotional reaction to it. They won't be any more disgust to it. Because now it's in every commercial. Now it's proclaimed everywhere. Now the politicians talk about it. Now if you don't, every, it's just so present. That we, it doesn't create the response that God has towards it. There are some things we should not be indifferent about. When Jesus expressed his anger, we, we mentioned briefly Mark chapter 3, verse 5. When, when he expressed his anger in Mark 3, 5, I uh, like what he says. He talked about the Pharisees. He says, and when he had looked around at them with anger, then it says, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. You'll notice that when Christ was angry, he was grieved. It was heavy on his heart. We see it other times, of course, in the temple, and it doesn't when he clears the temple, we would think he talks about anger. He doesn't mention it there, but we could imagine that the, the outburst at that point in time was one of, of anger towards those who were selling and taking advantage of the Jews there at the temple. But when Jesus was always angered, Jesus was always angered when the Father was defamed or when others were mistreated. Jesus was never selfishly angry at what was done to him. If you look at Christ as an example in this area, he never got angry because he was mistreated. He never got angry because somehow he did not get what was justly His. He did not get angry because someone mistreated Him, misspoke to Him, or unjustly accused Him. We, too often, of course, our anger is directed towards things that affect us. We feel like we've been mistreated. We feel like that person cut me off because I had the right-of-way. And we live our lives that way. But as you and I grow to love the Word, as you grow to have a passion for Christ, as you see His holiness, as you see His purity, you cannot but resist. You cannot but stand in opposition to that which would defile that. When you hear someone use the name of Christ with a vulgar explicit before His name, how can you not stand up and say, No, that is wrong. When you hear reports of unborn babies being murdered, how can you not stand up and say, That is wrong. And not just... Well, theologically, because this text says this, no, there's anger there because there's righteous indignation for what is being done. There's so much suffering out there that grieves the heart of God. We should be moved and grieved. When you hear of human trafficking, children sold into prostitution, how can you not stand up with indignation and anger and say, no, that is wrong? Yes, anger rises from the heart. But I'm equally concerned about a believer who does not get angry about unrighteousness as I do a believer who gets angry over things that are superficial. Both reveal his spirituality. So what gets you angry? What? You know, in a relationship, we all know where that button is. We all know if you push that button... It's gonna make that person mad. What? What? Where's your button that makes you mad? Well, I can't stand it when someone doesn't fold the box in the cereal. Or, the park was, the car wasn't parked the right way. You know I like to back it in. Why'd you just pull it in? You know I like it this way. Or who didn't put the milk up? Or who had the? All these little things that are so trivial, we attribute that to our. We have this anger. This reaction. Now, anger can go from varying degrees from being irritable to all the way, of course, exploding. What gets you angry? Do you get angry when you don't get your way? Now, I'm not talking to kids here, I'm talking to us adults, right? <laughs> I understand we tell our kids this, but hey, we're, we're, we're right there. Do you get angry when you don't get the respect you believe you deserve? You feel ignored? Do you get angry because you're impatient? I mean, clearly God's not working fast enough. How many times in Scripture we've seen man get ahead of himself because he was too impatient to let God do the work he is going to do? Do you get angry because you're fearful? Fearful about your health, retirement, job loss? If that's the case, then you need to confess that sin. Anger is so destructive. It's destructive to you. It's destructive to those around you. But there is a place and time for believers to stand in opposition to things that are unrighteous and unholy. We need to be strong in our conviction that these things, that we can stand up and and voice our opposition in a holy and in a righteous anger. I know just by saying that, it feels uncomfortable because we don't usually equate be-angry. But there are times, I think, a place where the church needs to be heard. But then the second point, he says, do not sin. And we know God is good all the time. He's love. He's long-suffering. And all of God's attributes remain true, even as He pours His righteous anger and wrath on man. Now, I put this one quote up here from John MacArthur. I liked his way of describing this. He says, anger, that is sin is anger that is self-defensive and self-serving, that is resentful of what is done against oneself. It is the anger that leads to murder and to God's judgment. Anger that is selfish, undisciplined, and vindictive, is sinful and has no place, even temporarily, in the Christian life. That first command, be angry but do not sin, is a strong statement as well. We shouldn't excuse anger. We shouldn't say, that's, that's just who I am, or they made me do it. I mean, we hear that all day long from children, but we should not. We should confess anger that is unrighteous. He says this, But anger that is unselfish and is based on love for God and concern for others, not only is permissible, but commanded. He's the only one I think I've read that spoke so strongly this way because many, many I read continually repeat there's no place for man to ever be angry. He said, Genuine love cannot help being angered at that which injures the object of that love. See, if my pride gets in the way, then all my anger will be fueled by everyday frustrations. It will not be thy will be done, it's my will be done. We kid around with our kids sometimes, you know that song that was popular a few years back. It's all about you. Well, (laughs) when we had, you know, inner fighting with the kids, we would sing that song. It's all about you. No, you know, it's not. But they got they understood pretty quickly what we were saying. If I humble myself before God, and His mercy and grace gets the final say in who I am then my angers will be tempered by mercy and grace. My anger will pursue the welfare of others. My anger considers and pursues the glory of God and not my own. To see, what we oppose and why we oppose it and how we oppose it has a lot to do with the essence we will determine if we're dealing with righteous anger and indignation or sinful anger and carnal outbursts. Righteous anger responds. When you have, when he says do not sin, many times proper anger will lead to proper results or proper actions. Righteous anger should be followed by righteous actions. So, righteous anger responds to unfairness with mercy, righteous anger responds to injustice with grace, righteous anger responds to all forms of violent sin. And I develop an intolerance for sin. Righteous anger responds with a sense of burden, not hatred, not disdain. Righteous anger responds to my enemies with, yes, love. I learn to hate the sin, but I do learn to love the sinner. I know it seems kind of easy to say that. Hate the sin and love the sinner. But we should have a righteous indignation for sin and yet be able to, to turn to man and say, God loves you. And because He loves you, I love you. He says, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And do not give place to the devil. Our righteous indignation needs to be given over to the Lord. What he's describing here is that we're called to do we're called to be people of peace. Trust God to respond as He pleases. That's why God says it's not for us to go and seek revenge. Many times in Scripture we see man get himself in trouble by attempting to help God. Helping God, allowing him to fulfill, instead of allowing God to fulfill His purpose in, his, in our lives and in His time. Yes, if anger is prolonged... It might start out with righteous indignation, but then it turns sinful because as it turns sinful, I began taking things into my own hands. And instead of taking them to the Lord and placing them before Him, I get upset. I start thinking about how to make it right. Then I start thinking about maybe revenge. And Satan takes that anger and he feeds it. In any case of anger, whether the anger is legitimate or not, if that anger is courted, if we, if we stick with it, Satan will feed our anger. He'll feed it with self-pity. He'll feed it with self-pride. He'll feed it with self-righteousness. He'll feed it with vengeance, defense of our rights, and every other sort of selfish sin and violation of God's holy will. Anger, when it's not handled God's way or in a godly way, will be followed by carnal actions. And if we don't handle righteous, even proper anger can lead to Carnal actions. And so, he said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Turn it over to God. In prayer. Plead with Him. Pray for them. If it requires interceding with someone, do so whenever that is, as quickly as that is possible. Even justifiable anger against sin, could tend to bring feelings of animosity, revenge, bitterness, hatred. So Paul goes on to warn, do not give the devil an opportunity. Beware lest a righteous anger continue on and on. And this leads some Bible scholars to say, you know, stay away from any forms of anger. So I do have one question. Have you let some unrighteous anger fester in your heart? Have you let some unrighteous anger fester in your heart? Have you taken something that may have started out as a righteous indignation but soon became very personal? It became about you and no longer about God. You no longer were defending the gospel. And you began taking things into your own hands. As I, as, as I looked through this and I studied anger, I did a lot of research left and right. You, know, you start reading things and just getting information and, I saw a Ron report on anger within the church. When you start seeing the reasons why churches divide and break up and split, because people get angry with each other. Rarely I haven't seen it over righteous anger. Rarely I haven't seen it over someone defending the glory of God, but rather a personal offense. Rather something that was close to them. But not something that I would consider whether the word would call righteous. Barclay has this one statement. And I will conclude with, with his thoughts here in a couple of comments. His anger, which is selfish, and which comes from pride and undue sensitiveness to one's own feelings, is always and invariably wrong. But anger for the sake of others, anger which is cleansed of self, can often be a weapon to be used of God. When I look at those four things, really, a lot of my time and thought process just went back to the first thought. Be be angry. That you walk out of here and say, "Wow, well, you know, Pastor Jeff told us, go out and be angry. That wouldn't be exactly the the full story. But I do believe we need to have righteous indignation. I think those things that offend God should offend us. Those things God said He hates, we should hate. When God responds with, with anger and wrath, we should respond with a disdain for those things that He opposes. We should oppose that which He opposes. The danger in our Carnality is that we take that and then we take it upon ourselves to make it right. We take it upon ourselves to act it out. We take it upon ourselves to make that right. And we blur the lines and we begin to, to offend. We begin to uh, condemn. We, we, we tend to begin to judge instead of having a righteous indignation for those things that are wrong and then laying those before God and let Him work in our hearts and let Him work in the hearts of the others. So yes, we're called to oppose, but not to sin. Not because we're defending our own values, not because we're just defending self. Every time Christ was angry, it's for the sake of the Father, not his own. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Some of you may have been holding on to offenses, and that anger has been swelling up, as the definition is. And that anger, as it swells up in an unhealthy way and in an ungodly way, pours out. And what pours out is going to be bitterness, it's going to be hatred, it's going to be divisions, it's going to be slander. Instead of confessing that before God, and don't give a place to the devil to step in and intervene and divide and destroy. So, certainly, anger is a reality of mankind. If it weren't for anger, we wouldn't have our wars. If you look back at the First World War, some of the simple offenses, the battles, and thousands of men were lost over simple offenses, and, and someone got angry about it. Anger is destructive, When it's not of God. It's not held... For taking care of in a godly way. May God give us a desire to oppose those things which He opposes. But then not respond in a carnal way, but in responding, responding in a godly way. By being burdened. By, being, by having a desire to proclaim truth. By responding with love. And God can use that, as the last definition says, can often be a weapon to be used of God for His glory.